Hey guys, welcome to the Landco Podcast. My name is John O'Reilly, the host, and today we're going to talk about different options you have when it comes time to making an offer on a property that you like. Welcome to the Landco Podcast, an analytical behind-the-scenes look into land investing and land ownership, covering marketing conditions, current inventory, and updates on all relevant land ownership issues here in Illinois, mixed in with some timely hunting and fishing reports. So let's jump right in. Actually, let's not jump right in. Just a quick heads up. Um, this format is a little different than what we've done in the past. It's almost like a little micro podcast. Uh, it's just me. There's not going to be any video. And just want to like, and they'll probably be a little shorter, quickly go over topics that are relevant to what we're currently going through that I believe will provide value to our um, kind of current investors or clients or, or future investors. So Today, I want to talk about different options you have when it comes time to uh, making offers on properties. And we're doing this right now. Like I think, I think we're presenting four or five offers here in the next few days, and they're all different. So like I'm right in the middle of this stuff. And a lot of times what we suggest catches our clients off guard. Uh, it's just a little foreign to them. So I thought it'd be a cool idea to, to do a podcast on this. Um, so there's three main ways. I'm sure there's a ton. I should say this first. Like I'm not an attorney, so I'm just kind of generalizing what what we use to present offers. If you have any questions on like in detail on any of this stuff, like contact your lawyer or contact us, and we'll get you hooked up with one. But um, so we typically present offers in one of three um, ways. The first one is just a standard contract, like you see when you buy a house, and um, it's just. That is happening. That is what everybody expects. I should say that too. So when we suggest anything else, that's when it catches them off guard. But we're using those less and less, like at least for the first step of a purchase. So I, I would say maybe like a third, maybe 33% or so of our, our deals start with just a contract. And I'll buzz through these other the other ways and then I'll kind of come back and explain them individually. But uh, the next way that you could do it is a contract, which is very similar to that one, but you put a contingency um, of an inspection period. Okay, and I'll explain that in a minute too. The last is the most informal way of these, uh, and it's just a letter of intent. It's not a binding contract. Uh, it's just a way to outline uh, your intentions, um, and it's just kind of a, it's almost like a formal handshake sort of deal. But those are what we use, those three. Um, we, we do use, I should say, a fourth, um, just like a verbal offer. But for this podcast, I'm just saying like, here's the documented ways that we present offers. So um, comparing those and letting you know when we use each one, the contract, like an, a binding contract with no contingencies, we use that We use that when we anticipate everything going very smooth. Like the seller has been through this before, it's priced right, um, the offer's gonna be close to their asking price. They've both been through, you know, land sales before, and we don't see any roadblocks. Well, then a contract is fine. We we start there, and it speeds up the process. But the next two, the contract with an inspection period or the letter of intent, we use those when we foresee anything that would slow down that the closing. Um, and it's not always. A lot of times, those are negative, but it doesn't have to be negative. So, like. So let's say somebody wants to buy a property that's owned by five or six people together. 
You know, that just takes time for those guys to get on the same page. And a lot of times they don't, but even when they do it, it, it takes a lot of time. So like, that's not necessarily negative. It's just like, that's the nature of the beast there. So those last two, um, and I'll go through examples, um, the most common examples of when we use those in a second, but, um, those last two were very similar. The only different difference between a contract with an inspection period and of a letter of intent is how, how you terminate the deal if you decide not to buy it. So a contract with an inspection period is a binding deal. Um, the, the buyer just has the option to terminate the contract if he wants, but he has to notify him in writing and it's a little more formal process. Whereas the letter of intent, like you could just let that thing expire and you're not obligated to buy it. Obviously we don't do that. Like we, we keep the other parties informed as good as we, as well as we can, but it's a little easier if what you find during that inspection period isn't, isn't what you want. It's a lot easier. Um, it's a lot less time and a lot less work on the letter of intent because it's a simple phone call or an email where uh, the contract with the inspection period, like now you're typing up a, a legal document, signing it, sending it over to them, you know, overnighting it to say that you want to terminate the contract. But like in effect, they're very similar. They're both laying out what you want to do, price, terms, all that stuff, but they come with an inspection period where you can do a little more a little more due diligence um, after you know after you've established all the terms. So here's when we use those. Like let's say and this is more common, I just should say this too. This is more common for investors because you use these last two when you don't want to invest the time when you're not certain that there's like there's light at the end of the tunnel. Like you don't want to invest a bunch of time if what you're after isn't even possible or if you're in a different ballpark price-wise. So price is the first one that we recommend it. Seemingly more and more properties are priced like just way over what they should be. Uh, and it seems to be getting worse, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad property. It just means that they're out of touch on price. So, um, investors are like, well, I like that property, but I don't want to spend a ton of time because, you know, let's say a property hits the market that's 5,000 bucks an acre. And, and I think it's worth, you know, 32 or 33. And I tell my investor that it's like, well, I still like it. Um, why don't you send over a letter of intent at that price? And so we'll know if it's an option, you know, and if it's not cool, we didn't waste any time, no harm, no foul. If it is, then we'll move on. So price is a big one. When we make an offer on a property that's not, we're making an offer on something different than they're, they are, um, have for sale. So like if it's a hundred acres and we want to buy 40 of it or anything like that, when we're, when we're offering something different than they have out there, then a lot of times I'll just start with, let's, let's throw out a letter of intent because we don't even know if this is a possibility. So let's throw out some terms. Here's 40 acres. I'll give you four grand for it because I don't want to invest a ton of time in it. If, if they wouldn't do this in the first place. So dividing a property is a big one. Tillable land, like straight tillable investment pieces. We use it a lot because the more you do this, the easier it is to kind of analyze a tillable property just like over the computer. You can look at the soil maps, you can look at the location and you know what return you're, you're trying to get. Let's say you want a 4% return. You do that math backwards and 
you know, like it spits out a price. Like it's as simple as that. So if there's a tillable farm for 12 grand an acre and, and you needed it, you know, 11, two, well, throw that letter of intent out there. Um, tillable farms, a lot of them we buy sight unseen, but there's not that many things that you like need boots on the ground for. Like we still do. We go there and make sure there's no damage, no water erosion issues. We ask for, you know, soil reports to make sure all the fertility is up to speed. <clears throat> Sorry. But we don't want to go through that exercise if, if you know, we're not going to get it at the price that we need it at. So that's a time that we use it. Uh, and then any time that it's an estate or a piece of property that's owned by, you know, four or five buddies together, those just tend to go a little longer. And it's hard. Like I said, the more people involved, the slower it, it takes. So anytime that is the case, then we say, hey, um, and in that instance, we usually do the contract with the inspection period because when there's more parties involved, they kind of want it a little more formal. Like, hey, let's let's see see the actual contract um, because our letter of intent is pretty, pretty basic. So um, <clears throat> that's probably the four like main times we use those second and third options. Um, but we love them. Um, anything that I buy personally or any of my like major investors, we always start with a letter of intent because you just don't want to, you know, on properties that you buy, like you end up closing on, you probably spend, you know, 10 to 20 hours on research before you buy those. And if you did that on every property that you were interested in, um, because investors are interested, interested in almost every property that, at a certain price, you know, so um, if you did that, if you spent that time on research on every property that fit what you were looking for, it just wouldn't be efficient. So investors and like, we love it because it, we don't have to spend a bunch of time on something that may never happen. So that's why we like those last two. And I, when we suggest these to people, there's always a little hesitation because they think that like, well, are they going to take it seriously? I mean, it's easy for both people to back out and, yeah, that, that's like technically true, but we have our success rate on selling a property from a letter of intent versus a contract when they get signed is the same. Like we, people don't back out when they find something they like, when the terms are laid out, at least in our world, they, they rarely back out. And if they find something during that inspection period, that's like, well, we don't want to buy it because we found a buried gas tank or whatever the case is, something like they would have backed out of a contract anyways if they found something that bad. So uh, that I understand why people are hesitant on that, but it's just never been an issue for us. It's it just hasn't. So um, those are the the three ways that we present offers, and uh, just thought it'd be cool to throw those out on a podcast to help people kind of understand those because more and more um, it doesn't start the the offer doesn't start with just a normal binding contract. So uh, that's a quick rundown of those. Again, we're not an attorney. If you have any questions on like specific details about those, then uh, we can get you in touch with one of our attorneys or call your attorney. But that's a quick roundup on, on the ways to make an offer. And I uh, hope you guys like this format. Uh, I, I enjoy this kind of medium uh, and these short ones are kind of fun. So I uh, hope you like it because I plan on doing a few more. If you have any topics you want me to hit, then just let me know. I'll do my, do my best to, uh, to cover those. Otherwise, we'll be coming at you shortly with, uh, with another topic. Thanks for listening.